welcome to One of Two Hundred, the New Zealand independent political and media podcast. I'm joined by my co-hosts Justin and Bronco. Welcome to One of Two Hundred on this Saturday morning. This humid Saturday morning. Yeah, what's the weather like in Chicago, Bronco? Uh, the exact opposite. It's uh, it's snowy. It's cold. Uh, it's actually it's at the point now where the snow has uh, started to melt and it's kind of just congealing into a black sludge. Um, so that's oh, yeah. So it, if you had to pick between the most humidity you've ever experienced in your life and black sludge snow, what 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 do you pick? Oh, that's a that's a interesting question. Honestly, people ask me like, how do you uh, how do you experience the weather here compared to New Zealand? Because it's way colder here, and I tell them very truthfully, I have never had the the warmest winters in my life that I've had in, in like Canada and the United States. Uh, the coldest winters I've ever had are in, uh, all in New Zealand because the state of housing, housing stock. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. not built at all for colder weather. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. So absolutely yeah no um i when i went to hawaii i was like oh this is much more comfortable despite like being much higher temperatures than i was used to to like quite a degree i was like this is much better yeah i could look yeah <laughs> turns out when you like build houses properly uh it's it's a much better thing to live in so we're not here to beat the the drum on housing uh <laughs> today uh a few things have been happening this week um the the clear uh, winner in the media, um, the one that's dominated uh, so many headlines since since the weekend really as it's geared up is um, you know what's being called the the convoy twenty twenty two. We have our own shitty little version uh, down in Wellington, uh, camping out on Parliament's front lawn. We'll chat about that a bit this morning, um, and we've had uh, you know the minimum wage hike incoming. Um, and there's been a bit of coverage around that as well. Um, mostly, mostly from, from business uh, PR types, uh, of course. Um, so we'll, we'll get into that too. But let's start with the, the words on everyone's lips. Um, I, I don't like, like, like you said, Bronco. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to spend the entire... I was like, I was like how, how do we talk about this? The entire 30 minutes talking about this because it's... I, I think people who are who are down in Wellington, who are working at the Beehive, who are working with surrounding offices, are having to deal with a lot of crap right now. Um, yeah. there, there are clearly some very aggressive. Um, uh, are there even protesters, just agitators down there, um, trying yeah, to? I mean, there are protesters as well, yeah. but I mean the people who are kind of apparently roaming the streets of uh, Wellington Central, just yelling at people with masks and shit. Um, yeah. And it can't be fun. It, it like sounds like a shit time. <laughs> well, and it's annoying to have like roads and sideways blocked up and stuff. And you know, I mean, it's 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 annoying to have people like camping in places. Of course, I mean that's that that's always been one of the the main things that people criticize Occupy, the various Occupy movements that popped up all over the world um, back in the uh, the start of the last decade was like you know, eventually they were like, they, you know, the, the smell of sewage that was coming from, you know, public parks and stuff was like very annoying. And I, I understand that, but, um, you know. Yeah, I think, I think it's a good, 
but um, just in terms of tactics, like occupying things, in terms of building public support, it's kind of interesting, like taking away the content of these, um, the clown boy and like all of this, whatever is going on. Um, and, you know, the nonsense and the fantasy land these people live in. Um, the strategy itself of occupying, you know, um, the lawn of parliament um, and just pissing everyone off uh, doesn't seem to be building public support. So interesting. <laughs> and I just, and I think maybe we could learn that. I, I know it's really interesting to like see people turned off in real time who, you know, like, um, I, you know, I, I mean, like I'm assuming they want to convince people that mm. they are correct and that people should be joining in this movement. So interesting, maybe a lesson for us too. Not saying we shouldn't ever occupy things, but certainly think about it. Well, a similar dynamic as with Extinction Rebellion, which I think, you know, unlike these people had an actual good cause that was rooted in science and the real world, uh, but a uh, similar approach where it was kind of this idea of disrupting the flow of, of um, I guess, just ordinary commerce, ordinary life, um, and just kind of trying to, try to shake people by the shoulders and say, hey, wake up. Um, in theory, sounds good. In practice, kind of alienates people. You know, we, we, I think we've all seen that clip of extinction rebellion uh protesters haranguing that that couple or whatever it was at the cafe kind of being like how could you be enjoying yourself right now don't you realize we're in the middle of a climate crisis you know which i sympathize with sentiment maybe not the most uh the, i feel i mean it's relatable not the most but like i wouldn't do it myself well i mean we, we say that and like you know it it, it is clearly uh, generating a lot of um, bad press, but <laughs> and, and you know Ill, Ill feeling from, I you know a lot of a lot of New Zealand um, and the parliamentarians that they are ostensibly trying to um, you know get to change legislation, um, which which you know doesn't go a long way to to reaching some of the goals that they purported. Um, to be trying to push through in, in regards to removing vaccine uh, mandates and, and things like that. But I am of the um, opinion that that isn't what the goal of this is. I, I don't think that, I, I think there were, there were definitely people involved um, that did have that as, as what they wanted to do. Um, and probably a lot of protesters that did as well initially. But as we've just seen in the Mark Dalder piece, which is out for the newsroom this morning, um, there are other kind of organizational groups at work. Uh, and we're talking about um, things like Counterspin Media, uh, Steve Bannon funded uh, alt-right uh, agitators um, who, you know, and, and Bannon's whole thing is flood the zone with shit. You know, it's, it's to really try and drive destabilization get people angry and divided um, and radicalize people. And I think, you know, we say it's not doing well at getting people on side, but it is probably doing pretty well at radicalizing the people who have stuck around uh, and helping to build uh, some of that division um, and forcing um, some division uh, that may not have been able to happen otherwise like these people are like pretty uniformly hated at this point and if there's one thing you know the the bannon um playbook is good at 
it's hijacking media narratives uh, and established media institutions because it knows how they work. It knows that they want sensationalist shit and it knows that they will dominate the news cycle um, if they put that forward and, and mm. kind of throw it to the masses. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, look, I as much as we joke yesterday, I was feeling, you know, quite disturbed by some of the scenes um, on the Lord of Parliament, but specifically actually in Ottawa, um, what, what was happening in Ottawa, because, um, you know, just the like the 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 news articles coming out and i'm not i'm not actually think these people are like a threat to the state like let me make that clear just like on its face but um and you know and it's it's strange for me to be in a position of saying i'm so glad these people aren't a threat to the state but anyways because <laughs> uh, i would love to be a threat to the state no, just <laughs> um but anyways but um you know what's really in i, I think um you it is like a uh, a like proto version of you know a more serious political movement that could emerge that's all I that's all I would say but um you know like the kind of configuration of these ex-military high-level military you know people who who worked um quite yeah high up in secret Canadian secret services and the military and police involved in this like strategy um in, in Ottawa and um, specifically around um, blocking the airport, which is a, quite an escalation in terms of tactics. You know, like uh, when I studied Polsai, uh, you know, we did, I did a course on, I don't know, revolutions or whatever the fuck. Um, can't remember. <laughs> whatever the fuck they're called, I don't know. Whatever, I don't fucking know. Uh, but yeah, no, um, you know, like the number one thing is like you go for the, like and when you have, I mean, and I think that they don't have the power, so it's a bit embarrassing, but um, going for the import is like a main thing you do when you're like, I'm overthrowing the state. <laughs> and um, I just think that is like pretty interesting in terms of like, like a, a revealing into their mindset. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I think I think you know I kind of understand why people would be quite disturbed by that, um, and, and and a bit scared as well because I, I did Although, feel that a little bit yesterday. Let's let's also remember that that uh, blocking airports are one thing that climate campaigners have tried to do as well. You know, for instance, but not so, very, you know, but much less successfully than these. these well, but that, these guys. You know, whether it's successful or not doesn't mean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I would assume that if we support the the climate movement, we would want them to be successful in terms of. hundred percent. hundred percent. I think, yeah, I, I think it, it's difficult to talk about this because a, a lot of time it's like it, it, we're assuming things about uh, what's going on and who these people are without actually knowing about it and without knowing really who these people are, their backgrounds, what drove them to where they are. You we, mean the actual kind of, protesters, right, on the ground? Yeah, the actual protesters. We end up sort of groping around for kind of um, certain established explanations have kind mm -hmm. of been just thrown out over the year you know the one that i'm hearing of course in in, in the wake of this so often is, is misinformation that's you know these people have been looking at misinformation and that's why i you know i don't know i'm sure some some of them were what percentage it's not clear there's some people when you read the reports clearly are there because they have a philosophical uh opposition to the mandate to vaccine mandate which i will say is you know I think everyone here knows I am for the mandate. I have written many things in support of it. I wrote about it before it was even policy. Um, however, it, it is a quite a heavy handed, um, I think appropriate, but heavy handed measure 
I'm not surprised that, that some people have a philosophical uh, opposition to him on a protest. Uh, on the other hand, you know, there's clearly some overlap here between some of those um, earlier kind of aggressive protest movements that, that, that we have seen, particularly in rural parts of the country, like the anti-1080 protests that have been kind of seem to be building in their kind of, um, uh, I guess, militancy. Um, you know, that seems to play a role. But at the end of the day, it's difficult to know what the dynamics at play here are and, and consequently how we would go about rectifying them because we, we, there's, there's annoyingly no attempt to get to the bottom of like, who are these people? With the, with the capital rioters, right? We got some indication at least of who they were. We got an indication that the, a bunch of them, I think it's 60% of the majority, had financial troubles, had histories of debt, um, all this kind of stuff. We can sort of trace how they might have gone from that to a, to a collapse of trust institutions uh, that led them to, to, to storm the capital. We don't know what these people's situations are. What, was it misinformation that drove them? Was it something else? And I wish we had that. I wish that someone out there would go. What I'm hearing to... from you, Branko, is that this, what's happening in New Zealand right now is New Zealand's uh, 6th of January. <laughs> yeah. no, definitely not that. <laughs> I, you know, this is the last thing maybe I'll say, but, uh, but uh, I know this makes people very angry, but I, I think, look, we should keep an eye on this stuff because of course it could balloon and develop into something very scary and threatening down the line. I think at this stage, it's not really that. It's some pretty badly behaved and, and, and sometimes aggressive protesters. But at the end of the day, I haven't really seen anything here that suggests that um, this is anything close to the kind of, to, to uh, what's happening in Canada, let alone uh, what was happening in, in the capital. And in, in I US. think that's something that, you know, some of the people organizing um, and, you know, on Telegram and other um, messaging apps and Facebook groups and whatever, um, are taking advantage of as well. They know that there is no established narrative, that there is this chaos. As much as possible, they want to be seen to um, be the uniting force behind this. Um, and it looks like, you know, both Counterspin and um, Brian Tamaki's outfit are, are trying to uh, position themselves for that. Um, like, look, we did a thing um, to take, like, to win a victory um, of some sort to, to rally more people. And, and essentially to just grift the fuck out of them. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of the, like, the, the 1080 groups and stuff like that, it's just a fucking money go round um, <laughs> alongside I, I, everything else. I think, like, for me, the focus is more on that, right? It's the money, follow the money. Because I don't, yeah, you're right, Bronco. I don't think we have enough information to make any kind of, like, we really can't analyze what's going on in that crowd, the dynamics, the motivations, I just don't know. But in terms of like how this has got to be maybe a hundred times better funded than any left-wing action I've ever taken part of in terms of the billboards, the the media uh, app, like structure that they've built, um, the actually just the resources they have as well, like material resources that have like come to support this like fucking ramshackle operation on parliament's lawns um and then of course there's you know uh the, these new far-right platforms emerging in new zealand like with millions of dollars of funding from from where who knows um and i think that is what i'm concerned about like that's where i mean you know because yeah i mean i think it's fair to say that there's like to me it, it screams of like it it, it is ma literally manufactured it's like money being thrown at an issue, to, you know, like it's not to say there isn't real issues. It's just 
like to think about the amount of money that's clearly been thrown at this versus the amount of people there it's not very it's not that's pretty very sad impressive around. like to be honest like imagine you know like i imagine what we could do with that kind of money i mean really um yeah. when we you this know like we, can, the, yeah. we can turn out like tens of thousands of people at a t- anti-tppa march with a budget of like what like 200 bucks <laughs> like you know like <laughs> The the amount of money sloshing on the uh, sloshing around in the international right is is absolutely crazy. I mean, I, I have friends here in the states who um, have have on occasion had to go on like uh, agreed to go on debates and right wing whomever somewhere, and they go to these think tanks that are, no one's ever heard of, but have these beautiful plush offices have are just rolling in dough, and it's it's just because yeah, when you have a society with essentially unlimited hoarding of wealth. Um, you have more, somebody has more money than they know what to do with. And so they just end up throwing it around to whatever cause they sort of, um, you know, someone can either convince them to put money into or, you know, that they they decide is, is worthy. Um, I think it's my, my last, uh, I said I was going to say the last word on, on from me uh, before, but I think maybe one <laughs> thing that's worth uh, uh, adding is just that, um, I do, I, people need to always distinguish their distaste for the cause of protest, especially us on the left. So for the for the actual message of the pro, of a protest and the actual uh, act of pro, protest itself. Um, I've aside from some of the crappier behavior, like you know, uh, yelling at people in the street and throwing eggs at a schoolgirl, which is just embarrassing and shameful. Um, that I haven't really seen that much that from this protest that that marks it out as some sort of aberrational event, whether in New Zealand or anywhere else in the world. It's pretty pretty mild, to be honest. I mean, you know, the the even the news, the the mainstream news, you know, points out that <laughs> at this point they're kind of just they have tents and they're playing hacky sack and they're sort of standing around. So I, I you know I think uh, occupying public space, occupying roads, all that stuff, it, it's annoying. Where it's a cause that we don't like, but it's also a very uh, ordinary thing for protesters to do. So is the attempt to, to break police lines, which I've seen at many, many protests. So I think, you know, I think we should try and, um, you know, really distinguish between those two things. And I want to remind people, rather than delving into this panic that I think collectively people build themselves up to, into in social media, remember that, again, the, the Destiny Church March, the Enough is Enough March, uh, you know, now nearly two decades ago, had I think five times the number of people this had as well. Five thousand people came, and it was you know it was people in black shirts, shouting angrily, waving their fists, and it was specifically targeted against a vulnerable uh, group of people in New Zealand, and that was quite menacing. People compared it at the time to a Nazi rally. Uh, I think not unfairly, it's quite menacing. However, it everything is fine. The sky didn't fall. The government didn't fall. Um, you know, in fact, the New Zealand government continued uh, until today. So let's just, I think, keep things in, into perspective. It's not helpful for us to, you know, yeah. uh, fall into this kind of... Yeah, I think uh, what just uh, Dan was saying as well is is correct. Um, around, I think there is, there are definitely elements here which we should keep an eye on. Um, yes. And, you know, and some of those are actively white supremacist. Um, we know that there are people who are, who are working with those groups who have seen uh, neo-Nazis turn up at some of the rallies uh, of, of this sort. And that's really bad. <laughs> and, but I, I, I'm still of the opinion that 
not everyone who's showing up to these rallies know that there are white supremacists there. Um, it is a it is an unpopular enough view that then they're not going and fucking yelling into everyone. They're there to recruit. I want to be really clear about that. They're there to recruit and to see what um, kind of tendrils they can get into the wider movement. But they can't just go and turn around to the rest of the protesters and say, hey, let's do a Nazi chant because people will knock them out. Like There, there are people down on, on the on parliament today who will like turn around and, and knock out a Nazi. I, I would almost count on it. And some of those people are going to need to have a bit of a clearer eye on who they are currently standing next to. I, I don't think they've necessarily reached that, or they clearly haven't reached that point yet. Um, but there needs to be some kind of discussion um, and understanding that this is just a, a chaotic group of people at the moment. And while there are rallying factors that are a bit more nefarious than um, what it currently looks like, I don't think it's, I'm not sure if fair is the right word or just even correct to say it's a Nazi rally. Like I, and it's, yeah. I, I think people did it, the same it just thing. clearly isn't. People did the same thing for the last rally in Parliament with, where there were many people who were Māori and Pacifica. Um, you know, not everything that, that has some vaguely conservative or right-wing sympathies or even outright right-wing sympathies is, is a Nazi rally. Uh, I, I think it's important that, yeah, that we have, yeah. we take a reality-based perspective on this and actually deal with the facts rather than sort of creating narrative. But they're going to be, I mean, but just by nature, sorry, if you do, if you keep working with them, like, well, like it's going to, that's well, just what it I is. Mean, well, hold on, hold on. But the, the, for instance, the Mark Dowder piece talks about how actually there was, there was a bit of tension between the protesters and some of the more QAnon Trump enthusiasts in there. So, you know, yeah. it's, I, I, like people I said, have walked I away know, already. I'm really not sure. I don't know how to what extent that maybe they were working with them. Maybe they weren't. I don't know. I, like, it, like I said, the whole thing is so uh, amorphous at the moment. We have, we have very little concrete information about it that it's hard to kind of make uh, yeah. some of these mm -hmm. conclusions. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I, I agree with all of that. Um, and I don't think you could credibly call this a Nazi rally. I mean, that's like just on its face ridiculous. That's a diverse group of people and you can clearly see that just. Yeah, you know, I think it just doesn't help us to control the narrative if we're saying that. Um, no. But what I am interested in is, I guess, um, the political implications of potential political implications. So we haven't had any MPs go out and meet them. So it's been like pretty great. Wild. Yeah, really good, I think, which is just like, no, this isn't, you know, what, like, it's, I think it's content. We're not talking about the protest itself, like, you know, whatever the tactics, um, but the content and <laughs> it's just not worth really engaging with. Um, and, but then you've got Winston um, who like is just setting out a death rattle uh sort of you know trying to in trying to make a comeback it's it's kind of sad it's kind of you know it's it's kind of pathetic um and you know so i mean what what's like nationally what's our i mean i i i'd be curious to know if they because you know we have a five percent threshold so are, are these people going to be represented is yeah, there well, is that going to be something that's going to happen in future something, something to keep in mind is that i think RNZ or someone um, had a piece up about a 
uh, they had a poll uh, which was like do you, do you support mandates essentially um and something like 20 percent of people don't support mandates they're, they're like they're not they're not like actively going to get and, and protest about it and they're going to follow the mandates but they're not happy about it um yeah. so there is like a significant factor i think if anything this protest has just undermined that um and, and this is why i don't think that's what their goal is but like there, there were other ways they could have done this which didn't like just fucking destroy um whatever movement it is um mm. and yeah i, 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 I suspect they probably have a diverse range of goals because well, i mean they clearly really do. a lot of different yeah yeah there's a lot of shit going on um yeah. but hey look um let's let's move on from that because um I can't be fucked uh, talking about it and giving it any more uh, time on on the cast. Well, I also just just to okay, add one, to one more thing. Well, one more, one more. I, mean, I promise. <laughs> I, really don't, I really don't want to talk about this anymore. But one 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 thing I think to build on Justine's point uh, uh, in terms of like a political movement, you know, I, th- I think it is worth keeping an eye on. Clearly, there is some sort of like rising anti-establishment uh feeling that it's very small in New Zealand, but it, it does seem to be growing in prominence. Where it comes from, I don't know. I, this is why I wish. I wish if we could find out what the intersection of this particular movement is with some of that anti 1080 stuff and some of the, the other other kind of tendencies we've seen, because then we might be able to get a sense of, okay, maybe this could turn into or flower into some sort of um, mm. from anti-matter stuff into something kind of more into an actual political movement. Um, even if we, you know, uh, yeah, uh, that, that, that is something to, to keep track of, you know, I, I don't think it will, but. <laughs> I, okay. Well, I, let's let's move. On. Let's move. On. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's I think it's interesting these dynamics and like you're right, like anti-establishment. I don't know how we um we will define that. I'm oh, sorry, Carl. Gosh, we we're supposed to move on. No, that's fine. <laughs> Just keep 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 saying um, we need to say. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, does it count that like a vast majority of New Zealanders want to see house prices fall? Is that anti-establishment sentiment? Because, like, because I could... I, I mean, think this is the thing. Be, this is the thing. Know, like, this is like, dominating the media. And, like, there are things that more people care about. Yeah. So, so yeah. like, you know, I think the left is really in a position to, if, or if you know, organised and, like, ready to kind of meet the moment. And not in a pandemic. Uh, I mean, let's be clear a- about that. Yeah, not a pandemic to really seize on that kind of stuff. Um, it's a question of whether we will, but you know, we don't even, we don't need even need millions to do that. Like, yeah, we, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, but yeah, I, I agree. We, we this is we've done enough in this. Let's keep an eye on it. Let's talk yeah. about the other issues that. Are, that are, Look, that are, yeah, uh, we've given it like, um, like twenty five minutes. Um, the rest of the media has gave it a whole fucking week, so I think we've done pretty well. <laughs> um, yeah, so minimum wage um, changes are coming in. Um, do you want to, you probably have the best uh, kind of eye on that, Justine. Do you want to give us a, a bit of a rundown on what's happening and what some of the pushback is? Yeah, so the minimum wage is, I just have to look it up because I've got the exact number, um, is is increasing to 21.20, which is a rise in line with um, inflation. Um, it's still beneath a living wage, which I believe in Auckland is 22.10, but um, they also come out with a new one every year. So actually, I'll probably fact check. You fact check me, Carla. Why don't you fact check me? I'll do no. that at some point. Okay, cool. So um, so still below um, a living wage, which is a really good thing to point out. So the minimum wage is not a living wage. The living wage is uh, calculated about like how much you would need if you were working with a partner. So it's not like a single wage, 
to support a family, but if you're working alongside a partner who works maybe 0.5, so just taking um, into account that people have child um, and domestic responsibilities. So 1.5 workers basically in a household, the living wage is calculated on like, how much do you need to survive? And that's the living wage. So the minimum wage is still below that. So a full-time minimum wage worker as, as well as a 0.5 partner is not able to really sufficiently provide for a family in Auckland, just um, and the rest of the country as well. So that's, I think, an important context to sort of keep in mind um, when we talk about minimum wage increases. Um, it is closer to the, to the living wage um, than it has been in previously, especially under the national government, where there was quite a big gap between the minimum wage and the living wage. So, you know, sort of positive developments, I suppose. It's difficult to celebrate a wage below that is not livable, but anyway, <laughs> anyways, you know, it's like an interesting dynamic. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm really interested because obviously business is like always ready to like blast off some inane press release about how this is going to cost jobs. It never does. It literally never, ever does. Um, and it's, it's interesting to me because you like, you know, we're also, they're also at the same time complaining about all the labor shortages and their difficulties in keeping staff and recruiting staff. And it's like, I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that you have like the least competitive, some of the least competitive wages in the OECD. Like maybe that could be the reason that you have trouble with that. Um, so yeah, uh, the other thing is that um, a, the uh, MB has like has for years also advised governments against minimum wage increases because they use that faulty algorithm framework, um, which was complete trash. Someone on Twitter, like an like an economist on Twitter, just like just proved it within, like just <laughs> just of his own volition. He was like, "This is trash. Like you're giving the government trash advice." Um, and so yeah, so I think that's interesting because that's kind of been widely discredited now. Um, within New Zealand, so I'm interested. Um, I kind of did a little bit of a canvas of how people were feeling about the minimum wage increase, because especially with like, I mean, I, I feel like our media at the moment is just businesses whining. Like, I think if I really had to summarize what is, like, what is being reported on in our media landscape, it is just like corporate whinge. Um, so like, I, I didn't think this would be well received, but um just my anecdotal kind of observation is that people seem pretty happy with it. You know, people are, are very aware of inflation, not businesses, businesses are obviously unhappy, but <laughs> people, are, people are aware of inflation. People think wages should rise in line with inflation. Um, and uh, I think that the other thing is that people seem to be aware that businesses kind of cry wolf on this a lot, uh, which I think is a really good development as well. So Yeah. Um, go, go that's all my thoughts. The, go, go through a history of minimum wage increases, whether in New Zealand or anywhere else, and it is littered with over-the-top statements that the sky is about to fall, jobs are, are about to be lost by the by the scores, if not hundreds, that this is going to completely ruin businesses, all this stuff. Yet somehow, every time the wage goes up, it this never happens. Um, now, I'm sure this that it has some impact on employment because some employers that are, some businesses that are essentially hang on by the skin of their teeth uh, by purely by underpaying their workers, by, by paying, you know, the lowest they can get away with, 
because they're not doing very well because they're unsuccessful, I'm sure those will go out of business and that will have some sort of uh, impact uh, on jobs. But remember also, if people have more money, then they are spending that money into the economy. And that means uh, other employers, the, the employers who aren't paying their people like a pittance because it's the only way they can actually make a functional business, they will uh, have more revenue and they'll be able to hire more. And so, yeah, that, that's the thing that I think people forget about. Um, uh, Almost like it's cost. intentional. Um, because the other thing is, well, it's, it's if workers have more money, they are going to spend it. But if that money goes somewhere else, if it's going into profits or like CEO salaries, that doesn't get fucking spent. That just leaves the economy for good, um, especially like on this timeline. Excuse I think, me, Kyle. It actually goes into the um, super yacht economy <laughs> in Australia. No, like, they've actually been really struggling during the pandemic. Actually, they can get, they just, can get fucked. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm sorry. I'm just joking. <laughs> I think one of the things that you've seen um, from on the political side of, of pushback on this from Acton and from National. Um, and you've seen um, Chris Luxon talk about this a bit, as well as uh, we need New Zealanders to be more productive. We need we need to produce more. And like, what the fuck are you on? Like, and when you're saying that, because the production line on any any graph in the OCD, maybe globally, is has just been rising like pretty steeply for the last 50 years, maybe longer. Um, and alongside that, wages have just stayed fucking flat. Like our productivity has gone through the fucking roof um, and workers have not been getting any of that. So the, the claim that, oh, we're not, workers aren't being productive enough and that's why we're not, paying, we're not paying them more. And once they produce more, of course we'll pay them more. It's just a flat lie. It's, just, it's so dishonest. I mean, you know, like, let's, let's translate that for the, you know, for the ordinary person. It's like, the reason you don't earn good wages is because you're a lazy fuck and you need to work harder okay you don't work hard enough um and if you worked harder if you all worked harder we'd give you more crumbs um i don't think that's a winning message just saying (laughs) it it seems like the implication there is that if people were being being paid less they would produce more which is uh awful uh and just wrong face but also doesn't make any sense um, but you know, I mean, it's it's a uh, it's like a very polite version of what um, can't remember who it was was on uh, this Fox News show in the states, basically saying that complaining about the fact that that people, the Americans, had more uh, money in their pockets suddenly because of the the pandemic stimulus and support, and basically saying this is making people lazy, and that you know what they need to do was. He compared it to a, a, a starving dog. Oh, Jesus. Vicious. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that, that is the most kind of like base, unfiltered version of that argument. At its core, that's what it's about. It's we want to get people to the point where they're so desperate that they will work as hard as they possibly can to be able to just maintain the, the bare subsistence lifestyle that they can. Um, Sounds like Luxon's kind of managed to translate that into a slightly more polite, nice Kiwi uh, form. But ultimately, if I'm hearing that quote correctly, that's what it sounds like to me. I mean, yes, it is that. But it's not really anything different to what the right wing kind of aspirational economic message has been since... 
I mean, like to me, it, like you can Since look the at, 70s, like, you, honestly, you can look at yeah. similar speeches by Thatcher and Reagan and um, in the UK, especially, I think Luxon is very inspired by, I mean, one of the most successful um, British politicians, David Cameron. I mean, what a legacy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. It's just that that's what makes me laugh about Luxon. Is he such a like, talk about yesterday's man, Bronco. You could write another book on this. Not that you'd want to. It wouldn't be exactly a stunner of a page turner. But, um, <laughs> I think what sorry. we're going to see in 23 um, when we have a New Zealand election is it's going to be very much of a case of it's Labour's to lose. Um, and although I don't think that National really has the chops to, you know, drum up public support uh, at this point, I think Labour definitely has the talent to make people hate them, you know, and to, to make people desperate enough to just vote elsewhere um, or not vote at all. Uh, so, you know, we, we could be in a position where, you know, voting numbers drop because, you know, as you said, the minimum wage rise isn't really enough. We've seen like cost of living has just started to fucking balloon. Um, and in some places like butter has gone up by a dollar inside a week. You know, um, and the duopoly isn't helping that. They're just like fucking price gouging. Um, and if if there isn't more on offer, you're going to have a significant amount of voters who either walk away, think it's time for a change, um, or, or join some form of anti-establishment crowd. And as we've seen, there is this kind of um, agitating to, to draw people into that at the moment with a lot of money behind it. So Labour, Labour really need to step up, I think, um, if they're going to plan to, to keep their votes, um, you know, in the high 40s. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things. I, I think it depends on what the, you know, uh, main cleavage is, right? I think COVID is going to be a big one. And I think Labour will win on that 100%. Like, I think the majority of the country are, are pretty behind our COVID strategy. And, but then you've got, like, just working people taking a fucking battering um in this because of inflation because of the housing crisis and all the other things that labor have haven't addressed and so they've got a year you know and i wonder if they'll see the writing on the wall there because you know in in normal circumstances say without the pandemic labor would be in deep trouble in this kind of situation economic situation um you know working people are struggling like they're our lives like working people's lives have gotten worse under the labor government they're co there's a lot of like things in the pipeline that are going to make life better like fair um, pay agreements and you know I, I think social insurance as well for all its drawbacks but that's you know in the future right it's not now so what are they going to do now to make life better for working people that's their challenge this year if they want to be in government in 2023 i think but yeah. i think i do think covid will be the main cleavage so in a way i think they might you know and cynically i think they might try coast on it which i don't think will i think that'll set them up for future electoral defeat like i don't i think you know you'll see yeah a, a much weaker labor party a much weaker left if that's the case yeah the election's still a year away it's hard to it's hard to say what's going to happen and what the you know uh, what the exact uh, contours of that are going to be, but I, I, yeah, it's it's without a doubt that that life in in New Zealand is is becoming increasingly difficult. Uh, as I was obviously in in New Zealand for six months of last year uh, with all of you guys physically able to be there, and you know, I mean, it's uh, everything that made 
life very very hard back home uh, when I when I still lived there was uh, you know had only gotten worse, uh, especially housing costs. The, the sort of that's the part of inflation that never gets discussed because of course both parties, both major parties, are very happy to keep that uh, keep that inflation going because that inflation means more money in the pockets of the particular voters that they were both want to call it. Um, I wonder, uh, as we wrap up, do we want to also talk about some of the, at the same time, we, we have, you know, some, some discontent among the, the working Kiwis, um, but we also have a bit of discontent among businesses who are suddenly, as much as they are annoyed that there is um, more money going to, to, to wage owners, they're also annoyed that they're not getting a government uh, uh, handout or government help suddenly. Um, Justine, do you want to give us a little bit of a background of that? Sort of, you kind of saw this coming from a mile away, but, you know, um, turns out that when you let a um, dangerous virus uh, out of the cage <laughs> and circulate freely, people change their um, habits and they don't um, just go out, they don't go, you know, they don't go to restaurants and they don't go to movie theaters and they don't do all these sorts of things that are, you know, people want to make money from. Um, but apparently that's the fault of the red alert level. It's not actually the virus that's changing people's behavior. Um, and uh, so many businesses are actually now uh, <laughs> arguing that lockdown was better for their bottom line, because at least during lockdown, there was organized government support to keep them afloat. But now that's not the case. Yeah, so, and we, we say this on the cast as well. We, we knew um, that this would happen. And because we'd seen it happen in Australia like two weeks yeah. before, you know, Omicron yeah. reached here. What really like, you know, what really, I think, pisses me off is the lie that it's the red uh traffic light settings that is changing people's behavior like mm. that's what oh the, yeah, yeah. Well, are you open up suddenly would, everyone's gonna flood into these fucking we, crowded we restaurants go, yeah yeah we would really go out but oh those red light traffic settings you know gotta yeah yeah, yeah. please take away vaccine <laughs> mandates as well so i can be in close quarters and you know, headquarters i mean like yeah. what level of delusion is this <laughs> you know what is interesting though this basically means that not only you know ordinary people but also uh the the business community in new zealand have have they have all suddenly recognized the value of direct government uh intervention and and in some ways planning of the economy i mean essentially uh in some ways with, <laughs> with business and 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 working people are basically saying hey actually can you resume all that time when you were basically just propping up the economy by, by putting money um, into the private sector. It's a, it's an interesting, I don't know if it's a win for us, but it's an interesting um, shift in, in, uh, in how long, God knows how well, long. Well, I mean, I mean, the thing is, though, is like mindset. businesses don't see this as, as, as like something which there could ever be solidarity around. They see it as a corporate, like it's for them, it's a corporate handout. It's like, Oh, we, we deserve this, you know. They, oh, they, of course it it's completely course separate for them, um, even if of we as it. workers see it otherwise. Completely different rationale. Well, but ultimately, they still feel like uh, they would benefit from, yeah, for um, sure. you know, having their the government step in again. Yeah. Uh, apparently, we've given up on the idea. <laughs> in the promise that you, you, you know, it's just you, you're on your own and you fail. And then if you fail too bad, you took a risk and you got to start again. Apparently, we, we're all now uh, on the same same page, which is that actually, now the government should be bailing everyone out. Yeah, I think <laughs> Labour could definitely yeah. bundle that all together, right? And say, like, it's, okay, we're giving support to everyone. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easier to make the argument now, especially like, like you know, things do seem more possible. I think because of it. Okay. And I think that's the case elsewhere as well. But it's like, you know, 
No. You, of course you can afford it. You yeah. propped up the economy for like a year. No I one's think, buying your shit. I think one of the, the best things that's come out of this whole thing is that it's shown what direct government action can do um, and that, you know, it does still have a role to play because that was kind of like in question for, for a long time. Absolutely. Um, it's just whether or not our elected representatives decide to act on that or do anything about it. And that's what I'm worried about is that they won't. Well, I think, and yes, and I and I think that that you're right. That is where like the yeah the uncertainty is. I I mean, look, I've also been really like annoyed at the Green Party with their um, means testing of N95 masks. Um, you know, oh, that was rhetoric. that was one graphic. <laughs> Can you double it down on it? Oh! <laughs> yes, yes, yes. To the right of Joe Biden on this issue. Like, what the fuck? What is it with, like, being to the right of, like, whatever horrible US president is currently in office? Yeah. It's funny because even Labour is now like, oh, yeah, we probably should give everyone free N95 masks. And then the Green Party's like, yes, we should give it to everybody who's vulnerable. And it's like, why are you doing doing this? Means testing fucking sucks. And second of all, how do you even means test that? Like, I know. Literally, do you know how much these things make? Like, they're like they are. They're so cheap. (laughs) To to means test it, you'd create. You'd like spend like maybe five times as much as like making them and giving them to everybody. But hey, it was pretty cool when uh, you know um, James Shaw compared uh, Christopher Luxon to Lex Luthor. So that was oh, yeah, what a, really a great fucking bird, mate! Should <laughs> <laughs> have made some sunscreen for that one. I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't uh, even hear about it. That's how good it was. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, I, I think we're just about coming to the end of uh, time on this one. Um, either of you have any anything further that you just wanted to throw in there? No. Greens. Oh, no, uh, dear the Green Party, stop it. Just support <laughs> N95 masks for everyone, for goodness sake. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Yeah, we're not we're not uh, the Opportunities Party, folks. Um, yeah, step it up. Yeah. All right. Well, that's been another current events from 1 of 200 podcast. Uh, check us out at 1 of 200 dot nz if you want to see a few of the articles we've got up there we've also got the link to subscribe to our newsletter um last week's talked about hospitality from a a kind of workers perspective and what's happening under the current alert level settings for us and with this entry of omicron into the community jump over to our patreon uh give us a bit of support if you think we need a bit more independent media in new zealand i certainly think we do it's become very very clear that we need more analysis of the narrative and what's happening out there there's especially not much from a a left perspective and we've seen that there are a couple of really big uh right-wing platforms that are going to try and dominate the independent media space on the way here in new zealand so we'd really value any support that our our listeners would be happy to, to give us thanks again for listening we'll catch you next week Relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? You don't hate your nation 
Hey, Nation.